0: This workshop is When Life is Hard. I am Dr. Judy Glanz, and you can reach me through Western Seminary's Center for Pastoral Flourishing. Good morning. This workshop is When Life is Hard. I am Dr. Judy Glanz, and you can reach me through Western Seminary Center for pastoral flourishing. When life is hard, we can grit our teeth, suck it up, and with determination go a little harder. And then we find that we become brittle, rigid, unyielding, and truly make things worse by missing out on the grace and presence of Christ in our lives. How do we find God in the waiting room, in chronic pain, or loss of? Upon loss, upon loss. Letting go of my agenda, my expectations, and opening up to what God has right in front of me can be a fight with the Almighty. Excuse me. Staying present to God and the people I'm with instead of living in the future is my goal. There is no guarantee of the future or what it will look like except in Christ. You know, I'm always curious why people choose a workshop or a class. I'm assuming that you are here because your experience in life has been difficult, or because life is hard right now, or because you're walking with someone whose life is hard. I think we should just change the title for the workshop to Life is Hard. The woman who mentored me in ministry since I was 22 and is now with Jesus told me to never speak in public about something until I was through it and healed. And that's not true for me today. We're still living our difficult truth. So I want to stop and I'd like to pray for myself and for us. Dear Father in heaven, we bless your name. You are a good God, and you love us. And we receive that you are a good God, and that you love us. And that we trust you to meet us in these moments, at this conference, for such a time as this. Lord, we love you. We surrender ourselves completely to you. And we ask you to help us to meet with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason I'm here in front of you is because of the journey that we've been on with our daughter for quite a while. She's almost 26. Uh, the journey started when she was in the third grade, when her teacher alerted us to some learning issues and falling behind in school. At home, our daughter Julia was telling me she turned in an assignment and then I found it in the trash. This initiated a series of finding people to test her and ignoring people who just wanted to put her on Ritalin. During the third through fifth grades we had her tested three times by three different entities before an educational psychologist could come up with what we were dealing with. A nine-year-old child with a high IQ, excellent verbal skills, not working out her potential, reading at the high school level with two diagnosed learning disabilities dysgraphia and a visual perceptual disconnect from Julia's side from the fifth through eighth grade she was pulled out of class for her special classes to relearn how to learn in school daily coming home each day exhausted to face more prescribed learning exercises with me five to six times per week throw in a tender time in her life, and the onset of puberty and adolescence. Training her dog and horseback riding were her joy and escape. For us as parents, our learning curve was steep and disorienting. Common sense things that had worked for us as individuals growing up did not work for her. We kept asking her to work harder, and she did. Her teachers told us she was working very hard already, every day. Then why, we asked ourselves, did she fail spelling test after spelling test? Why didn't flashcards work to help her succeed when we reviewed so much? We entered the world of IEPs, and how long do we keep these in place for her own good without damaging her potential, her future? This is the way we think as parents. We just didn't understand why our brilliant, hard-working, and tenacious daughter, who devoured books and was verbally proficient with adults, couldn't turn in her homework on time or earn anything better than C's and D's. So we formed a team with her teachers, horseback riding instructor and therapist, and learned to negotiate. Julia suffered much during that time. One of the worst things was hearing from an 8th grade Christian teacher that she would probably not survive the academic rigors of high school, let alone college. And I just want to let it be known that in February of this year, she was unconditionally accepted to a top-tier school for their Ph.D. program in Hebrew. She is the first woman from her school with a standing from St. Andrew's Divinity School of unconditional acceptance to their program without a completed master's degree, which she has now completed. In the summer of 2013, Julia had some numbness that overtook some of her body. Julia was tested for MS, other neurological disorders, and a variety of other things that gratefully came up negative. They did prescribe physical therapy that taught her how to walk differently to support her core and back muscles, and she found relief for a while. Throughout college, she was ill a lot and developed some chronic eye issues and leg numbness that baffled the doctors, and yet eventually, these random things pointed to a hideous joint disease, for which she has undergone many tests by a variety of specialists. No one will pull the trigger for naming a diagnosis except for chronic hyper joint mobility. Now mobile sounds good, right? But her joints are so mobile that daily movement hyperextends her joints, causing her arms and legs to move beyond what they should, stressing her limbs. And then muscles are damaged. Then other muscles compensate. Her walking is thrown off, her back hurts, and you have an exhausted, hurting young woman. When she overexerted herself at work in early fall of 2019, she took a week of complete rest. After that week off, she still could not manage a full day of work without pain. To date, she has been on medical disability since then, ordered to bed rest and to finish writing her master's thesis, which she did completing her degree and graduating with honors this spring. She still spends most of her days in bed, gets out when she can, seeing doctors, specialists, friends, family, and then recoups the next day. And that is why she is not with us today. That's part of our story. Are you familiar with these terms, desolation and consolation? They are words that are found in the scriptures. Desolation turns us in on ourselves, drives us down the spiral ever deeper into our own negative feelings. Desolation cuts us off from community, makes us want to give up on things that used to be important to us, takes over our whole consciousness and crowds out our distant vision. Desolation covers up our landmarks and drains us of energy. Conversely, consolation directs our focus outside and beyond ourselves. It lifts our hearts so that we can see the joys and sorrows of other people. Consolation bonds us more closely to our human community, generates new inspiration and ideas, restores balance and refreshes our inner vision. Consolation shows us where God is active in our lives and where He is leading us and releases new energy in us. Consolations are the beautiful things in life that fill us up just like the nature of what they are and that involves God. Desolations are not usually beautiful nor wanted. They include illness, loss, conflict, sadness, death of a vision, death of dreams, frustration, boredom, the unknown, and confusion of transition. Even the natural rhythms of birth and death can make us desolate. Some of my questions for today, what if God is found in desolations? What if we apprehend God in new ways in the worst times of our lives? What if you and I find our true authentic self when life is hard, when all God is handing us is pain and desolation? But this doesn't just happen, I've learned finding God and finding ourselves. Pain in life doesn't equal knowing God. You and I need to learn to turn toward Him, to lean into Him and into His truth, with my truth. Another way to say this is when I seek to know who God is, I discover who I am. Most of us are familiar with the story of Job. Job gets some really bad news and then he gets worse news. His world falls apart with devastation and desolation. And then his body breaks down. He tears his clothes, he shaves his head in response and does the improbable. He declares the truth and he worships God. What? Then Job turns to his friends Or rather, they come and find him. smartest thing they did is to sit in silence with Job for about seven days. And then his friends open their mouths. And God, in the story, listens for about 34 chapters. During which time Job laments. This is probably where I would start, rather than worshiping God. Job says, "Um, this is what's happened to me. This is how I feel. This is what's confusing. And his friends mostly say ridiculous things. 34 chapters and God listens. And then God says, Job, look at me. And God asks among other things, have you ever Job in your life commanded the morning? I, I find it really interesting that God doesn't say to Job with sympathy and compassion, I know you hurt, Job. I know you're in pain. Instead, he asked Job questions Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God sang with joy. God continues to ask Job questions for three chapters. Now I haven't counted all the questions, but it's all questions, and it points to who God is. Today's workshop is about questions and turning toward God. I'm so sorry if you came here looking for answers. I have questions, and God has questions. The questions that God tends to ask, and we tend to ask when we're in pain, Questions are so important. Questions help us to process the stuff of our lives. Questions help us to explore what we are thinking and feeling. And questions help us to connect with God. Because when we are in pain and life is hard, we desperately need to connect with God. This next section is about reminding ourselves who God is. And I want this section to be um, a time of processing and reflecting. And you're going to have to do a little stopping and starting and, um, and doing some work. Part of the work of turning toward God. And hopefully you will find yourself connecting with God. The first question I want to ask is, Who is God? Or maybe make your question a prayer. Remind me, God, who you are. I need to know. This is a discipline of calling on the name of the Lord. And I found it in Scripture. To begin connecting with God with who He is to ask who God is and remember what he has done and to call on his name and declare through prayer who he is. So if you don't have paper, if you could grab some paper and a pen or maybe your journal, and I'd like us to reflect together and alone. And you won't have to say anything to anybody. It's just you and your piece of paper or your journal It's like a group reflection time where I'm going to ask some questions and I'll give you a few moments to think and to write. And we're going to go back to the first question. Who is God? And more importantly today, who is God to you? Go ahead and make some lists. Write as many names or characteristics of God as as you can think of and this is this is important we're going to come back to this list if you know God as savior right savior if you know him as your counselor right counselor he's lord he's comforter if you're stuck if you're drawing a blank cuz you're thinking of so many things or or whatever you can turn to psalm 145 and you will find many many characteristics of who God is Now, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Now, I want you to make it more personal. And I want you to reflect on and answer in your journal, Who do I know God to be through my experiences? Who do I know God to be? through my experiences? Or how has God personally shown up for you? If you know God as provider, uh, the word in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah yirah reflect upon that. How has God provided for you? Jot that down. Has he given you daily food? Is it a check in a mail that came at just the right time? Then you know God As a provider, I'm going to give you a few minutes, just a couple, um, to think about how God has shown up for you. Okay, now what I would like you to do is to take a few minutes in your journal and I'd like you to write a prayer declaring who God is and who you have experienced Him to be in your life. If you're listening to this message with someone, um, I'd really like you to just press pause and to take time as much as you need to journal it and to pray it together. And this is not a time of asking God anything during this prayer. Just declare, who is God? We've been asking, God, who are you? I need to know, and you, I believe, have been speaking, and you've been hearing who he is. So now I'd like you to respond by praying and declaring who He is. Okay, thank you for entering into that experiential prayer. This practice isn't for God's benefit. He knows who He is and what He's capable of. It's for us. And it's a discipline. And it's a discipline that changes us, despite our circumstances not changing or getting worse. This discipline of turning to God, of calling on His name in prayer, of declaring who He is, is empowering. And we need it to face the things that are in our lives. The second exercise that we're going to enter into is a reflection on our own stories. You got to hear some of my story, a portion of it. In this section, I'd like you to write some of your story. There isn't time to tell or to write your whole story. Just a snapshot. What's happening right now in your story? What is it right now that is painful? Is it your career? Is it work or a lack of satisfying work? Does it involve family relationships, your children, or one child, or the lack of children? Is it your health or the health of someone you love? Is it your marriage or singleness or widowhood? Or maybe you feel like an orphan. Abandoned. And if you can't write or if writing's too difficult, make lists. Lists count. So take time right now to write some things down about your story. What's most important is that you reflect and write what comes to your mind if you have to start with I really hate reflecting and writing then I want you to start with that. So let's pause the video again for another few minutes and then we'll pick it up. Okay. I have a project for you for later. Not for now, but I'm going to tell you about it now. I'd like you to find someone who can listen to your story with you. You can either read it to them or you can tell it to them. But I'd like you to find someone who can hold your story with you and make space to listen to you. This is not a lot of people that can do that for you, and not every other person that you meet. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to find a trusted friend who knows you and will pray for you. But most importantly, besides praying, listen, that they would listen to you. Listening is healing. Listening is a gift that we give one another. A pastor in New York, Tim Keller, says that Jesus listened people into healing. Jesus listened people into healing. Being heard by another is healing. And we can be that for one another. So who can you trust to give you the gift of listening to your story? I'd like you to write that name down and if a person doesn't come to your mind, just don't stress about it. Just It will come as you pray and as you wait and as you think. The next exercise that we will do is connecting our story with God. So I'd like you now, please, to look back at your list that you made in the beginning of who God is. Then I want you to think about the pieces of your story that you just described. And thoughtfully and prayerfully, who do you need God to be from that list connected to your story? So for example, in our story, I wrote down comforter I made a list, too, when I gave you time. Uh, God is comforter, and so I would turn that into a prayer of, God, would you comfort Julia in her pain today? God is a great physician. Lord, I need you, the great physician, for her health, to be her health. And until God tells me to stop praying... And believing for complete healing, I will keep praying for her complete healing. I have come to accept that she has a chronic, debilitating disease. But I still pray for a miracle, amongst other things, because our God is a way maker and a miracle maker. And He can do as He pleases. Our God is a counselor. I ask God to be her wise counselor as she navigates doctors, insurance companies, her dreams for her future. So please take a few moments and connect your story, exactly what's in your story, prayerfully with who God is. And then just like I've given you an example, please write a prayer to God you might say, God, I think I need you to be blank over my life. Or I want you to be, or I desire you to be blank over my life. We are affirming who God is by faith through prayer and connecting Him with our story. And it changes us. So... um I would like you to take three to five minutes to connect the, the list of who God is to your story. Okay, our last section that we're going to enter into is uh, Hearing from God. We all want to hear clearly from God. We just wrote part of our stories. When you wrote what's true about your circumstances, did you include your great sorrows? Have you poured them out to God in prayer? Even the angry, unpleasant lack of faith parts, the fear parts, the complaints, the injustices you felt, Dr. Calvin Blum, a pastor and a professor, wrote an article about openness before God and discernment, claiming that we can't hear God's voice well unless we first empty what we're carrying in our hearts. He says, quote, the heart makes room for God when ideas thoughts, emotions, sins, dreams, and desires of the heart are poured out to God, unquote. This comes from the book, Giving Ourselves to Prayer. He's one of the contributing authors, not the editor, and you'll find the quote on your handout, so you can um, find the book if you want to and read more. One of my students at the seminary called this, emptying the bucket of our heart so that God can fill it. Pouring out our hearts to God connects us with God. It's not sin. The heart, the immaterial part of us that God made, is expressed, not bottled up. And it does include joy, but also anguish, sadness, anger, frustration, And all the ideas we have along with realization of our sins, our dreams, and our desires. We need, we need to pour out our hearts in silent prayer to God. It might sound like, God, I feel angry. I feel abandoned. I feel afraid. Where did you go? Why did you withdraw? Why do I feel like you are withdrawing from me? I feel lost. I feel undone. I feel overwhelmed. I can't see a future. Again, I'm going to give you a a few moments to write um, what some might call a poison pen prayer and some of you might be afraid to put these words down on paper and utter them to God. You can tear it up or burn it if you want to Um, but I would like you to consider pouring out what's in your heart and you may not even know until you start writing or till you start praying. So I'm going to give you again just a few moments to pour your heart out to God silently or on paper. Okay, welcome back. I, I hope that you... Um, Engaged with the Lord with an honest heart, and I encourage you to take time to do that in the future, to get alone um, and spend some time with the Lord. In closing, I would like to thank you so much for participating in these exercises. These are not easy. They are disciplines. And I would encourage you to continue with these exercises. To continue to call on God, To declare who He is, it's very empowering. We need the reminders. I encourage you to invite God, His names, His character, into every aspect of your life. This is your friendship with God, acknowledging His presence and who He is in the different parts of your life. I encourage you to continue to pour out what's in your heart, what you're thinking, what you're afraid of, what you're in pain about to God, and then making room for him to fill your heart with who he is, with his peace, with his wholeness, with his shalom. And I want to remind you to find someone to share your story with, a trusted friend who will listen. Um, Read it to them, tell it to them someone who would truly listen. Thank you so much for being here. I want to remind you that I am Dr. Judy Glanz, and you can find me at Western's Center for Pastoral Flourishing at Western Seminary. Goodbye.